ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. It's the Rev and Sam podcast. We are back. Our guy Ian's back. Ian Fadaport returned. I know the weather's starting to warm up, so our guy's out of hibernation, and he's back. The NFL playoffs, the conference championships. You know, we got to pull out the the A list guys for the conference championship. How's it going, Fadaport? What's up? It's going good. It's good. Uh, upsetting to see the Chiefs back in the Super Bowl, but you know, shit happens. So. Mm. And I saw you tweeted about that too, as well at yeah. uh, Ian Fadaport on X. If you guys want to give him a follow, he's out there tweeting about the conference championships. I know he'll definitely be tweeting about the Super Bowl. The Grammys are this Sunday. Uh, you know, I, I know we got Pro Bowl this Sunday, but we also got Grammys as well too. Are you gonna be tweeting about the Grammys? Are we gonna see a couple yeah, of Grammy I, tweets? I don't know if I'm on Ian Fadaport watching that. Uh, I'm gonna be. I leave for Florida here in a couple of days, so oh. I'm gonna be gone over the weekend. So I don't know if I'm really going to get to it, but who knows? We'll see. Is that a business trip? Is that just hanging out? Oh, I, every trip is a business trip. You know me. <laughs> it just depends on the kind of business. Yeah. I know, um, I know Fataport, uh, we were just talking about your Iowa Hawkeyes. We were talking about the offensive coordinator that they just brought in. They also, did you guys get Caden Proctor? We did. I saw that. I don't know if I'm very happy about that, but we'll see. Well, I don't. Do we need a Do we need a clip on Caden Proctor's return? I mean, like the the only thing that like I'll say is like, yeah, obviously like Nick Saban retired, so like that probably played a big part on him transferring. But he obviously like you could see he cannot hold his own against the SEC, so he had to dumb it down a little mm. bit and come back to the Big Ten. And that's kind of oh. what I don't like like <laughs> he can't handle the big dogs, so he had to he had to go down a couple levels. So we'll see how that turns out. So you're saying the Big Ten is not? It, it's down a level. You're taking a shot at the Big Ten as well. I mean, the whole Big Ten. With me, you, I, there's like three good Big Ten teams, and everybody else is dog shit. Like Michigan, that's just, that's just a Big Ten. Oregon, Washington, you now have, they're in the Big Ten. Well, I guess now, now that they're there, we'll see. But it's still, I mean, SEC football is always going to be like the, the standard of football mm. of college football. He doesn't get a pass for being a like a, a true freshman for being like 18 years old. No, no, because he committed to Iowa, decommitted to go to Bama, played mm. like shit. His his daddy retired. So now he's coming back to Iowa. So he thinks he can just oh, come in. Oh, wait, was his dad a coach? The big guy. And his daddy was Nick Saban. <laughs> I didn't know if it was like a, a Jalen Brunson, Rick Brunson situation. In the NBA for the Knicks, uh, the Knicks hired Rick Brunson as part of a way to lure Jalen Brunson over in free agency mm. to get him over there. So I don't know if they <laughs> had hired Caden Proctor's no, dad. If he was just, like, no, I was just saying Nick Saban. <laughs> As like some kind of offensive line coach, but yeah, Nick Saban is out at Alabama. Have did you did we talk about that? Did that happened since um. I don't remember. Since we record. I know. I know. A lot of coaches have been in and out. We'll definitely be talking about yeah. that at some point, um, uh, in a little bit as well too. But, uh, some football this week, like we said, the conference championships, and I know you kind of already said that you were disappointed that. Mahomes was in the Super Bowl again that the Chiefs have made it. Is is this it for the like have the Chiefs and Mahomes now officially reached like villain status for you? Oh with this think, win. Well, wait, should we start with should we start with the Chiefs or the or the Niners? Do you which one do you want to start with? Let's start with the Chiefs. Okay, okay. Just because they're already on my brain. It's like Okay. Like you already you can tell that they're starting to become a dynasty, not only because of like how good they are and how many trips they've made to the Super Bowl in the last five years, but the entire world hates Patrick Mahomes except for the states of Missouri and the states of Kansas. And that was the same way with everybody who hated Tom Brady, unless you were a Patriots fan. And like, 
now that those are kind of coming together, I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes is Tom Brady, but when it comes to like how they mm. like the teams, like the Patriots were a dynasty and the Chiefs are clearly starting one and more and more people are becoming to hate the Chiefs every single day. So that's just kind of how I think about it. So what's dynasty status to you? What does a team have to do to qualify? Is there like a, a checklist? It's not really a checklist. It's just like kind of like the accolades. Like, And there's only really one that matters, and it's playoff wins. Uh, when you look at the Chiefs, I think this is their fourth conference championship in the last five years. Yeah. Well, it's, six in a row, four six, Super Bowls yeah. in five years. Yeah, four Super Bowls in five years. Like that's all you need in a short time period. If you have that many trips, then you can call yourself a dynasty. So they're already a dynasty just by making it. I think so. They don't even. They don't need to win. Like the Patriots didn't win every single Super Bowl they went to. Although they did get six. Still, yeah. Like they they lost two to the Giants, and they made countless trips back and forth in the playoffs. Like the deepest team in the playoffs almost every single season, and that's been the Chiefs in the last six years. So. And I know Sam was even saying from a legacy standpoint that Mahomes didn't even need to like make the Super Bowl. That just being in the yeah. AFC championship game was enough. But I mean, I don't know if we were, you know, we're going to talk about the game and that's not necessarily do a Super Bowl preview, but like, did, did you like the Chiefs team now is just different, right? It's just a yeah. different Chiefs team. Oh, yeah. We can't like, like, can we take anything from the regular season into account when we're looking at this game, looking ahead at the Super Bowl? Can we take any of the regular season at all? I Did mean, the only, the only thing that you can take from the regular season is like the personnel on the field, because like we knew in the regular season, their secondary was a little weaker. Like Snead and Trent McDuffie are very good corners and they're, they're both first team all pro. I'm pretty sure. McDuffie was, than, yeah. Other than that, their safety help wasn't really there. Their only linebacker to note was Nick Bolton and he was out for almost half the season. And then Chris Jones obviously had that holdout at the beginning of the year. So their defense was a big question mark. And as soon as they hit the playoffs, that defense just acted like nothing happened and they're playing like the best of the best football they've played all season. So when you think of like, when you think of dynasties, you think of teams who have question marks in the regular season. And as soon as they hit the playoffs, it's like nothing even happened. And that's, that's exactly what the chiefs have done this year. Like the offensive troubles with the wide receiver room in the the regular season have not even come to question in the playoffs yet. Not a single time that I've heard of. And I know, like, between the two units, the Chiefs' defense was probably even the more reliable unit between the two. Even probably maybe even up there for, I want to say they finished, you know, in the top 10 for defenses in points per game. But the offensive struggles, like you said, were, I mean, and we've talked about it a lot with Sam, too, but I think mainly one attributed to, like you said, the drops. And, like, part of the drops was, like, everybody was doing it. But it was a lot of rice as well, too. And I know McCole Hardman had troubles in the last game, but it does really seem like in the last two games that they've just kind of condensed everything. And now, like, I mean, that first half, how did, was Kelsey a double-digit targets in the first half alone? I think he in that had, one? in the half, he had 11 targets and almost 100 yards. And I know in the first playoff game as well, too, that would have been wildcard weekend. Yeah. Uh, the first one, I think... Kelsey and Rice both had double digit targets and everybody else in the team like two had like two, one or two. MVS has gotten a little bit more involved the last couple of weeks, and he was actually really clutch in the divisional round for him. Yeah. But just in terms of they've kind of funneled everything to Kelsey and to Rice. And again, like the two question marks in the regular season were mainly those two guys, because like you can take away the ball, you know, like if Hardman's gonna fumble, you can take him out of the offense. I think you need MVS one or two times. You know, if he comes in clutch, it's nice, but you're going to need Rice. You're going to need Kelsey. And 
Rice, for one, has... I mean, he's a rookie, so he's going to get better. It seems like he's just kind of fully comfortable now in the offense. But the Kelsey thing, and I feel like we've kind of for, we, we're, we've kind of forgotten that we're a fantasy pod here in the playoffs, but, yeah. like, what do, what do we do with Travis Kelsey now, big picture, after this game? I mean, we still have the Super Bowl to go, but it's like, again, for the question marks, he was kind of the guy. Is Travis Kelsey still that just absolute number one level wide receiver? We're, we were putting him on the level of the... He's hate. It's Jefferson, Tyreek, Kelsey. Like you're gonna want to have him up there with with all those guys. And it, it in these playoffs, I mean, he's like fully back to being at that level. I mean, the, again, that first half against the Ravens, when he mosses Kyle Hamilton for that first touchdown, mm-hmm. I mean, he's like fully back to just top Travis Kelsey, is he not? I yeah. And until somebody still a tight end can match his skill set and have like the target share in his offense, he still has to be the first tight end off the board in every single draft. Uh, I know this year he was going as early as like four or five. And uh, he yeah, went first anywhere round. between like four and like pick 10. And that could drop slightly just because of the amount of wide receivers who did really well this year. And I expect a lot of those guys to go up, like not to name everybody, but I know CD Lamb, who was probably a late first or an early second round pick, could easily go in the top five next year. Amon Ra. Uh, uh, Amon Ra definitely skyrocket up there as well. And then with Kelsey, it's just like, I think it was the first four games this season. It looked like he was going to have the best career that he's had in a while or maybe mm. even, or the best season he's had in his career. Uh, and then like the next six games, it was just like a, a straight decline uh, against the Broncos. He didn't do shit. The second game, obviously the first game we lost, but uh, it just slowly was declining and declining. And then he started to play a couple of good games towards the end of the season. And now, like you said, in these playoffs, he's back to being like the most reliable tight end in football He's looking like he's going to end his career in the top three of tight ends of all time, even at number one. I've heard mm. the argument already. So un- until there's a tight end who's like, until there's a rookie year Kyle Pitts who can do that every single season, he's got to be the number one <laughs> tight end. So is that Gonzalez and Gronk above him? I think those three are in the top. Uh, definitely. You said top, top three, three, I'm just guessing. Those three are definitely top three. I, I don't think I'll get into the order just because I'm a Chiefs hater. But, mm. but that's that's easily the top three. I don't think there's any argument against that. You know, the guy who gets left out of all the tight end conversations, and I, you know, I don't know if it's just because the Cat Williams thing, he had 50 million views on YouTube, but Shannon Sharp, like, just again, and I know some of the passing numbers, like now, especially compared to Kelsey too, like Kelsey's passing stats compared to all these tight ends. Gonzalez played for like 20 years, so mm-hmm. all of his numbers look, or like, you know, they look decent, but... Shannon Sharp like won three Super Bowls and on two different teams. He won with Elway and then went over to the Broncos. One there was first team All Pro four times. He still even he had three one thousand yard seasons, which I feel yeah. like. How many did Gronk have? I have no idea. And Gronk always gets the nod for blocking. Gronk had four. Gronk had four. A thirteen hundred yard. His second season, he had thirteen hundred yards, seventeen touchdowns. Prime Gronk was insane. I mean, Prime. he's probably if like before two years ago, I could safely say that Kel or that Gronkowski was like the best tight end ever, with Gonzalez being mm. second. Now, now it's like it's kind of a toss up because like when it comes to skill set, like you like Tony G is just a huge vertical threat. Kelsey can just like get the ball in his hands like whenever he wants, and then Gronk with the blocking plus just being like a, a red zone threat. All three of them have have their pluses, and there's not really any negatives to them. So that's why my order. I don't really try to 
I don't really try to rank them because they're all they all do something very well. But that's tier one. Yeah, that's definitely tier one. You move down to tier two, you've got guys like Shannon Sharp. Mm, uh, wait, so can if we're not gonna rank him, can Shannon be in tier one? I feel like he's a tier one guy. Yeah, I feel like he's tier two compared to those three. How many? Close, let's see. Tony Gonzalez, six. So Gonzalez, six first team All Pros to Shannon Sharp's four. But you know, again, Gonzalez is playing for from '97 to 2013. Gonzalez only has four 1,000 yard receiving receiving seasons as well in the mix. Again, Shannon Sharp, three Super Bowls. I feel like has to be a factor. So um, it's Shannon Sharp and Mike Ditka in tier two. It's Shannon Sharp. I would put like Vernon Davis, Antonio Gates. Mm, Vernon Davis, um, shout out. I put Vernon I did. Davis. Vernon Davis is underrated. I I remember Vernon Davis. Vernon Davis had a playoff, one of the playoff games against the Packers, maybe. Where he went off? I think that sounds that sounds right. The Niners had a couple games against the Packers, but they went off. But Kelsey as well, too. And it's not even just the uh the in the season stuff. I guess the other thing that makes his case is they were saying in this in this game on the broadcast that he had passed Jerry Rice for like all-time receptions in the playoffs. And I don't know if Rice has, I'm assuming Jerry Rice also has the career leader receiving yards as well too. And they didn't mention yeah. that if Kelsey had passed him in that, but they did say that he passed him in receptions. And again, that also seems insane, not just because it's a tight end, but it seems like it, that's really has been over the course of like these six years. Yeah. And it just kind of puts into perspective how crazy to have just in general over the course of any career to have six crazy playoff runs is insane. But then to have them all right or not, not them all. Cause he's not, you know, not finished yet. Pause, but to have six of them in a row right away. And to all be this dominant again, it's why Mahomes is having, where is, so do we need to do Mahomes go conversation at all? Eh, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I don't think I'm ready for that. They were doing on first take, they had Ryan Clark and I think was it they, it was Clark, Shannon, and Stephen A. And I think all three of them said that they weren't talking all time stuff, but they said one game they would all take Mahomes over Brady. Would you agree with that? I mean, yeah, as of right now. Mm. I do that. So if you need to win a game, all time QB trust well, rankings. Like maybe gotta, a little preview. We're doing it's hard. Maybe. It's hard because Brady's <laughs> last back. season. Brady's last season wasn't great, and like the last. Oh, hey, his last season. Four, what about the twenty before that? I know that's like the recency bias that comes into play. Like <laughs> when you think of like the most recent season from Tom Brady, like your opinion goes down a little bit. But like you got to keep in mind, like he has seven Super Bowl rings and came back from a twenty-eight point deficit in the Super Bowl, like. Like that's something you just have to keep in mind when you make that decision. That's so it's it's so close, but because of like the recency bias with like Brady's last season not being great, and Mahomes like just like increasing every single season. That's why most people would probably take Mahomes right now. So what would what would Brady do with this roster? Do you think? Probably, I would hope the same damn thing. And I think like people forget. Like I know the receivers had a lot of drops. People were saying that the roster was weak, but like. The core, a lot of the core stuff, like the Chiefs have built a smart roster. Like their offensive line is amazing. And mm -hmm. I know they didn't they didn't have Tooney for this game, which was something that definitely I think mattered more in the second half. Matabuke had an incredible second half and was one of the reasons yeah. that I mean the Chiefs only score like three points from the midway into the second quarter and on. So the Ravens defense really clutches up in this game. And 
I, again, the interior pressure on Mahomes was really a key part of that. Tooney's injury, obviously, a part that allowed that. But when that offensive line is healthy, it's one of the one of the strongest in the league. So if if the receivers are catching the passes, like Brady could have the time. You know, obviously he's not going to be able to scramble like Mahomes, but Reed, Brady with Andy Reed would kind of be insane. Yeah. And you, like, go ahead. Go, uh, well, no, go ahead and then I'll ask you. Like the, like the core of the team is pretty similar too. Like you've got, you've got an all-star, amazing tight end. Uh, and then more of the receivers are kind of like on the lower side, but like because of the quarterback play, you make them look amazing. Like, You've got guys like MVS who was pretty good in Green Bay, but like isn't like a star-studded wide receiver that mm-hmm. you would think of as like a top-tier guy. Uh, Rashi Rice is coming into his own. He, he, he might go against what I'm saying in a couple of years. We'll see. He will. Uh, and Kadarius Tony, who had was dog shit in New York and is now dog shit again in Kansas City. So yeah, it's just like lower-tier receiver guys with an amazing O line and one of the best tight ends of all time. Like. It's almost the same exact situation. And then when it comes to the defense, <laughs> like the Patriots defense was pretty good the entire time Brady was there. Same thing now. The Chiefs defense had a couple question marks when Mahomes first started, but that secondary is really starting to come into its own. And Chris Jones has just been a dominant threat every single season he's been there. Did you see that they like might have lied about Kadarius Tony on the injury report? I mean, good for them, honestly. I don't want him on <laughs> I wouldn't want him on the fucking field. I know it's tough if the if the Chiefs if you're if you're not going to work in the Chiefs, it's I mean somebody's going to when he inevitably gets released somebody's going to sign him again just because he's too talented. But yeah, if you're not going to work in, can't not sign him. But yeah, with the athleticism, I mean you know you got you got to give him a shot. I I wouldn't even be upset if the Colts did it, but like I mean if you're not going to work in the Chiefs system, it's a tough look. Yeah, if you're not tough look for the resume for the current best quarterback in the NFL. Mm. Who the hell are you going to work for? <laughs> if you can't play for Pat Mahomes. Yeah, like he doesn't, he doesn't, Tony doesn't have to do any of the work when it comes to like playing for Patrick Mahomes. Imagine <laughs> if he gets to a quarterback like he had with Daniel Jones, where he had to do something, didn't do shit, so they traded him. It's going to be the same situation when he comes into a quarterback, even, even one, like half a tier down from Patrick Mahomes. Like if you were to put him on a team with like, Justin Herbert, who's just a who can sling it, or even Josh Allen. It's like Josh, he's not going to be able to do enough for either of those guys, especially Josh Allen, who has to keep the play alive for so long. Like as soon as Kadarius Tony has to get off his route, he's just going to sit down on the field, just like mm. picking grass. <laughs> and that's a great point too about not him not having to do much because it's not just Mahomes as well; it's the offense. Because when the he was in. In playing, and we're saying we're talking past tense like he's already off the team. But when he was when he was in, they were like running plays for him. And a lot of the times, too, it wasn't down the field. I mean, the one down the field play he made for the Chiefs was the lateral play. He was offsides. None of it counted. A lot of it was like, hey, we're running the jet sweep. We're at the goal line and we're running the screen pass. They were I mean, they were really utilizing him when he was out there, like directing the the ball toward him when he was out there on the field. And again, that goes back to Andy Reid, which was something that I wanted to ask you when we were talking about Brady was, do you think, so do you think Brady would have had a more successful career with Andy Reid? Put Brady on this Chiefs team with Andy Reid's offensive mind? So are you pretty much saying would I pick Bill Belichick or Andy Reid? Is that what this question is? Is it? I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't going to say like. it like that, but I don't now know that you're saying I, it. I think, yeah, he probably would have had a better career with Andy Reid because <laughs> Because when he, like, he was the reason Bill Belichick was, like, on the map 
in like most people's opinions is like Bill Bill didn't do shit. Tom Brady did everything. Tom retired or Tom goes to Tampa Bay. The Patriots have just been on a steady decline, and and you can kind of blame Bill's draft pick to succeed or his successor, who was of course sixteenth overall pick, Mac Jones, who just has not proven why he should have been a first round pick. But yeah, I mean Andy Reid, who's been who's probably the current best head coach, current active best head coach in the NFL. Hmm. Definitely a top five head coach, probably of all time. Somebody who's like proven themselves that he like even before he had Patrick Mahomes, who might be the best quarterback of all time, he was winning games in Philadelphia and he was winning games in Kansas City. So I could definitely see it. At this point, historically, besides Belichick, I think the only guys you're making the case that Andy Reid is like above Andy Reid or like the like the historical like maybe like Lombardi mm-hmm. or something like that. But John Madden. Yeah. Ooh, man. Shout out to video game. But I mean, if he gets a third Super Bowl this year, then I feel like he's easily kind of second. And I I mean, I bet Sam will probably make the case for him as the, yeah. the goat coach. But um, an- another sort of Brady like thing that I think happened in this game. And I think it's just kind of big picture now too, just looking at the playoffs and the playoff run that the Chiefs made. And we had said this in the Friday pod with Sam when we were previewing the wild card and we were kind of just looking at the playoff bracket as a whole, but, and this goes to what we've been saying, you know, covering the games on the Tuesday pod as well too, but just the fact that none of these teams have been playing well, but the quarterbacks as well too, it seemed like the quarter position quarterback position was down as a whole this year. And a lot of, a lot of the success that Brady had, this is not diminishing the success of Brady. Like this is part of greatness, but like a lot of the success that Brady had was the fact that he wasn't going to make a mistake and he was going to capitalize on the miscues. And when you're going against Brady, like you have to be like absolutely totally perfect. You can't make a mistake. And it's, it's not, it's, it's not even like it's a by default thing, but it, again, that's what it almost feels like at this point where it's like, by default, the Chiefs kind of get in because Lamar Jackson makes a couple of mistakes. And that's kind of what I don't, you know, again, not we're not diminishing the Brady run, but that's the greatness of Brady, where if any of these other teams were going to make one or two mistakes, he was going to capitalize. He was going to get the win. And I mean, that's kind of what happened in this Chiefs game. Like we're saying, the Ravens defense, I thought, played extremely well. And I mean, you know, we can point blame wherever we want with the Ravens. You know, Zay Flowers had his mistakes. Lamar had his mistakes. But you know, they're driving the ball at the end of the game in the fourth quarter with a chance to win, with a chance to tie, with a chance to make the game close. You know, I know they end up losing by two scores, but they have two fourth quarter drives where they have a chance to get back in the game and they make the mistakes. The Chiefs don't make the mistakes. And that's like Mahomes is now, it feels like he's at that Mahomes is now, it feels like he's at that extra perfect to beat Mahomes. But it's like Mahomes is now clearly, he's not, he, ne- he never was really ever going to beat himself but he's not going to beat himself. And the, it's like the minute they jump out to the lead, they know how to capitalize on it. They know how to maintain it. Again, you have to be perfect. And really it was, the Ravens had chances. The Ravens had chances in this yeah. one. And I thought the Chiefs, again, not it's not like a, a by default thing, but they were just the more perfect team. Yeah. And like when you hold like Mahomes and his team to only 17 points, and lose like that, that game's clearly not on the defense. I know that the, the chiefs came out in the first quarter, they came out slinging, they started hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they had that nice touchdown, like that ball to Kelsey on Kyle Hamilton. 
could yeah. not have been placed anywhere better. Yeah. And Kelsey could not have broke off of Hamilton at any moment better than he did. So like that was just like perfect, perfect throw, perfect catch. But like like you said in the second half, they only scored three points. Like their defense played great. And Lamar, every time he got onto the field, it was just a mistake after mistake. And it wasn't necessarily only him, but that offense as a whole. Like you get down to the goal line. Uh, big play from Zay Flowers, and then you, you draw a taunting flag or unsportsmanlike conduct, and then you get into the end zone, you go to dive for the goal line, and you don't protect the ball well enough. It's just like mistake after mistake led them to that moment. And when you have time after time, you can't expect to come out the very last time with less than two minutes on the clock and be like, okay, something's going to be different because the entire single drive they had in the second half was just, like you said, mistake after mistake. There too much of a snowballing, and they just didn't have enough time to fix that. And the Chiefs offense too could have actually had even done a little bit better than they they had. They had a at one point they had a a touchdown by Rice, a screen pass that was called back by a holding penalty. And I think there was like a another penalty or a sack or something where they they ended up having to like punt the ball. And then there was also a possession where they went for it on fourth down in the red zone on their third drive. I think they were up fourteen to seven at that point, or it was seven to seven. And I actually, when, when they went for that fourth down in that moment, to me, it kind of felt like, did they, did they feel like they were the lesser team going in the game where if you, if you feel like you're the better team, do you just kick the field goal there, take the points and then, you know, get back on defense play. But it, I, I did feel like early on again, and just with the overall game plan, they did feel like. They really, I mean, they really did respect the Ravens. And I don't, again, I don't know if they thought maybe they were the lesser team, but the the dynamic that they had and the Ravens defense clutched up, but the dynamic too of the Chiefs offense between when they had the lead and when they didn't did feel like it shifted a little bit. But looking at the Ravens' mistakes that they were making again, I don't like do you, like uh, for the Zay Flowers thing specifically. Do you actually do we blame Zay Flowers for that play? I do. Or is that just is that Sneed making a, a you know a great play? Zay Flowers. He I mean he's trying to get a touchdown. He's diving in. Sneed punches it out. Is that really I mean, like a he's at I, fault type of play? It's just it's a good play by Sneed. Like I'm not trying to take any credit for him, but like when like you're in that position, Zay Flowers, who's like diving for the goal line, like look at all the white jerseys in front of him. Like he knows he's about to go into something contested, and the only protection he has on the ball is like his four fingers that are like holding the end of the ball in. Like if you're gonna dive for the end zone, you may you may as well put both hands on that tuck it under your shoulder and throw your whole body over instead of just trying mm-hmm. to lose the ball because it's just not enough protection. Like when you're playing a defense as good as the chiefs have been in the postseason, like that's just not enough. And if you watch Kelsey too, I was thinking about it. And then as I was going back and watching the game, there's like a third down early or maybe it, it might even be the third down that leads to the fourth down that the chiefs don't even that don't, that they don't end up converting, but Kelsey gets like a third down reception. Yeah. Instead of like, diving and stretching the ball out, you know, it's like diving, but the balls in his, he's like got the mm-hmm. ball covered up in his chest and he's like throwing the, you know, his upper body forward and diving that way. So it seems like, and that's what kind of a lot of the guys too, on a lot of the shows, you know, some of the coaches as well too have said that, you know, diving and extending the ball that way is not necessarily the best way to do it. So, well, I mean, yeah, it's like when you like, you're even if you took the ball and throw your whole body, you're not guaranteed to get the first down, but you're guaranteeing that. You're well, not he actually the had the over. first down at that point too. Yeah, he was just going if, for the end zone. Even if you don't get it, like you guarantee you're not going to turn the ball over when you throw the ball yeah, out for Kelsey, in front yeah. of you. 
and like barely have that like Zay Flowers did, not only are you opening yourself up to not getting the touchdown, you're opening yourself up to not even have the ball after the end of the play. And when you turn the ball over in that type of situation against a, a team as good as the Chiefs, like the game's over. Like there, there's no coming back from that. And I, and they didn't. And Zay Flowers, too, was he was good in this game, made a couple of big plays. And just in general on the season, he's like, I mean, just in general with him, he's like a a very athletic player, but like a very athletic play style. So, again, yeah, I think diving for the, the, the touchdown the way he had, it's just kind of in his DNA. I mean, that's stuff that, you know, he's a rookie receiver. I'm sure the the coaches will be trying to coach it out of him in the offseason, especially after a play like that. But really, the miscue that I thought was the one that kind of shifted the game was on the third drive. So, again, when the, the Chiefs go down and score, and then the Ravens, so the Ravens actually get the ball first. They go three and out. The Chiefs get the ball. They go down and score. And then the Ravens go down and match them. And it's kind of a, a sloppy drive. Lamar has a, a play where... He's like, he like almost gets sacked for like 25 yards, like, like at the goal line and then Mm -hmm. finally throws the ball away. There's a third down play where he takes the sack and then there's like a, or no, that actually might be later in the game, but there's like a four, there's a fourth down that they end up going for on this drive, like very early in the drive in their territory. And then Lamar gets the scramble touchdown as well, too, where he rolls out again. This is a flowers playing well in this game, turns up field on the Lamar scramble. Lamar throws a pretty pass right over the top hits him in stride for the touchdown and then the chiefs go down and score and then the ravens get the ball back and then a a menahue hopefully i said that right a menahue has the strip sack on lamar and i know a lot of people with the lamar performance have and again you know he made the mistakes there's stuff to be criticized but a lot of people were saying that going into the game Lamar was kind of uncomfortable and maybe smarter football people looking at that were like, correct. But really like, again, I felt like that's that second drive where they had where Lamar makes that rollout touchdown like that. That's a beautiful play. That whole drive orchestrates down the field. But after that strip sack, it feels like that's where Lamar kind of turned for the game and just him mentally, everything he was doing at that point kind of seemed to just, and like the next drive, for example, they run the ball and then, the next pass he throws, a batted pass, that's where he gets the reception for himself. But then the next two passes he throws as well are batted passes. Chris Jones bats those down, punt the ball. And after that, I mean, he misses likely on the next drive, misses Aguilar. But it really did seem like that strip sack to me was the turning point more so than Lamar like being uncomfortable and nervous going into the game necessarily, mm-hmm. like not being ready for the moment, but I get what, did, what do you make of the Lamar performance? What do you make of the, the moment or, you know, just the whole Lamar thing in general too, as well. I agree with the strip stack thing. Like after that, you could tell it was just like a steady yeah. decline. I think after that point, there were three specific throws that like, you could tell that he's just uncomfortable back there because I think they were all like 20 plus yard throws to get them on the opponent's territory. And he missed all of them by, I think it was like three or four yards overthrown. Mm-hmm. And, like, those are balls, like, this entire season he has not missed. So, like, to like the pressure of the moment, being uncomfortable in the pocket, like, the Chiefs defense just, like, like they, they forced all of that. Like, they, they brought him the pressure. They made him uncomfortable. And he didn't make the throws that he has been making all season that he needed to make right now. And that's, that's eventually why they lost the game. Like, they couldn't get the ball down the field fast enough. And when they had the opportunities, the mistakes were made. And I know, like you said, he missed the deep pass as well, too. But once he was in his own head, like he missed 
Hill on a third down, the running back where he kind of like overthrows him. And I know he like points, he's like telling Hill, like turn up field yeah. one way. So you, you never know who's, you know, right or wrong in that situation. But I mean, the, the pass is definitely not a great pass. It's like kind of up and behind him a little bit. And he probably wouldn't have got the first down with the way it was angled anyways. But I mean, Bolton as well, too. There's a third down pass where he throws it right to Bolton and it goes right through Bolton's hands yeah. after that strip sack as well, too. So what did, what did you make of the Lamar thing that we're, did you think he was not ready for the moment? I know we're going to do a little QB trust ranking in a second, so I don't necessarily want to want to step on that, but like, like what I, and, and he, he did get frustrated. He did make me say like, like that interception at the end was pretty, like, that's just a bad pass. Yeah. Four guys are right there and throwing it, you know, the, the jump ball to likely at that spot on the field is a play that they've gone to and it's worked. But again, with the the coverage there, you can't throw that pass. So was it was it just, hey, if that thing doesn't happen, that's the moment that turned the game. Who knows what happened? Or is there some bigger picture questions here now that still linger with Lamar? I think coming into the game, he was definitely prepared. Like he had been the best quarterback all season. And like he knew like this was like a moment that he was like he needed to shine in. And then as the game went on, he just got more and more pressured, more and more uncomfortable. And, like, that's all thanks to the Chiefs' defense. Like, Chiefs' defense did their job perfectly. Like, that D-line, all they're there for is to put pressure on him and make him uncomfortable. And as the game went on, that's exactly what happened. So I think just, like, leading up to that, he was the most uncomfortable in the pocket and most uncomfortable behind center that he's been the entire game. Mixed with throwing a ball and the quadruple coverage is not going to get you anything good. And I know for Lamar too, as well. So the moment that I kind of, so I know on the Friday pod, me and Sam were, and the the Ravens have been all year, like the resume has been impressive. So it's not like talking up the Ravens, I don't think was a bad thing. We did think that it could be close, but when the game started, the moment where I realized, oh, okay, this is Mahomes. The Chiefs are probably going to win this is Romo says, I forget if this is on the Ravens first drive or the Chiefs first drive, but like super early in the first quarter, Romo said that, you know, Mahomes has been, this is now as many just conference championship game for Mahomes as Lamar has playoff games total. And I was like, oh, I get, I get that Lamar, like he he may even be like outstanding in this game. Again, like at at this point in the game, it wasn't determined that like Lamar didn't have these mistakes where we were criticizing him. We didn't know what was going to happen. And it's like, okay, he might play well. This might be an awesome game, but just the bigger picture stuff with Mahomes now, it's like, he is he's now like separated himself where I don't I don't you know we were too I think young in that early Brady stage where he got those three early Super Bowls but the way people credit the defense and the way people look at that team like I don't know with the with Manning and Rodgers in the league and Brett Favre and Roethlisberger is it are the quarter are the quarter is the quarterback talent like behind Mahomes different than it was behind Brady or is Mahomes just is the gap between him and the second best guy now like bigger than it ever was for Brady just because of, you know, what Mahomes has done? I think like as of right now in the NFL, you're kind of like you look at Mahomes as like tier one. You go to tier two who are older guys who are very good, who have started to decline. And then tier three is younger guys who have only had maybe one or two years to prove himself and like you still have to give them time. So I think the gap is the gap is huge. And like when you look at Brady, like a lot of the quarterbacks in that time are are gonna be or already are Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So I think the gap is a big deal right now. I think Mahomes' gap is bigger than Brady's gap ever was. 
and I, that's not me trying to take away from like how good Brady is. It's just like how not that great the quarterbacks underneath Mahomes have been this season. Bad report. I'm sorry, but saying Mahomes' gap is bigger than Brady's gap is wild. That's you got to pause okay. that, brother. You got okay. you got to pause that. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not though. trying to call you out, but I think you got to pause that. That's we crazy. We both got socks on over here. It's all right. <laughs> That's crazy. I I know everybody's glazing Mahomes right now, but I don't know if anybody said his gap is bigger be than anybody of the other quarterbacks. Collins, I could be just moaning, just talking about him right now, watching him play. Uh... We're not. We didn't get a Collinsworth game this week, right? We had a Fox and a CBS. We had a Fox and a CBS. Yeah. And then the God. Super Bowl is CBS. I think so. So we're we're done with Collinsworth. And Col- is he? Thank God, because the Chiefs are in it, and I no one wants to listen <laughs> to that. Is he definitely back next year? I would think so. I don't know. I don't. Maybe I don't want to step on another segment that we're gonna do. Maybe if we're gonna get to all these segments, we better talk about uh, Lions Niners quickly. You mean the Niners game? Because the Lions were the Lions only played a half hour. Like, mm. was it the was it the whole Lions team? Was it Reynolds? Do it we need to everyone. play the like it, it was everyone like the the offense just broke down. Dan Campbell, I know he's been doing it all year, but like he put his balls on the table against the the best team in the NFL, and when you do that twice, you're gonna lose. And mm-hmm. he lost. He lost because like that is what I dumb it down to. He lost because of it. And I'm so not saying you that put it was, Dan Campbell number one for this game. For reasons I, I think the coach i mean obviously like they had two fourth and two they had a fourth and two and a fourth and three in field goal range where they're down where they're up by multiple scores like any I, I don't know why like i know he's been going for it all year long and i know that's just what the lions do but like at some point you just gotta like you gotta take the points against a team as good as this where you know if they can make you turn the ball over they're gonna go down and score it and that's what they did both times so what did you what did you think about the Lions as a team going into this one? Because I think everybody thought pretty highly of them just in the general public. But I know the Vegas spread had him as a touchdown underdog in this game. Points. So that was yeah, they, they were looking at this game going, hey, the, the, the Niners are significantly better than the Lions. And to be honest, and I, you know, I'm not trying to rub this into the Lions fans. This is tough. I still, you know, maybe... I need to see where the Lions fans are at on this one, but I still feel like, you know, there's going to be some happiness for where this season was, especially for where that franchise has been, but not to rub it in, but there, I mean, there was a point in the first half and then into the second half where I was like, Oh, the, the Lions are going to, they're going to win the Super Bowl. They're, they're crushing the Niners. And in, in that chiefs game, Romo had said at one point in that chiefs game too, where, he said, like, the, the things that beat this Chiefs team are running the ball on the edges and throwing to tight ends. And you that's watch exact, the Lions up, like and you're Lions, like, it's exactly. exactly what the Lions yeah. do. And they're crushing the Niners, and the defense is looking at Sutton almost had a pick, and it's like, what is happening? The Lions are going to win the Super Bowl after all this stuff. And like, so you're you're calling it a collapse. Was it was it's it actually yeah, was it the Lions choking choke. or was it's it choke. was it the Niners in the second half for like, okay, we're the better team? We're going to figure things out and we're just going to kind of make the comeback. Or like you're saying, did the Lions have like, were they actually like, was the Super Bowl a reasonable thing for them? I, I mean, with the way they were playing in the first half, absolutely. I was like, there's no way in hell the Niners come back. But like on one side where there's an absolute choke, there's always going to be a team that like knows they're better than who they're playing. Like when you like the prime example 
28 to three at half a Super Bowl and mm. the Falcons to uh, the Patriots. Matt Ryan carried the Falcons all the way to that Super Bowl. The Patriots were clearly the best team in the AFC. Um, and then they come out swinging and they go to OT and they win the game. So like every, every team that chokes is chokes to a team that deserves to get that win. So like, I'm not trying to take away from the Niners, but like the Lions, they absolutely choke that game away. Like if they just kick those two field goals and those two times, they have the game. Like it's plain and simple. Like they, they win that game with that current score. They win that game. And I'm not saying that like the rest of the game would have played out the same, but it would have put a lot more pressure on the Niners to score. And with pressure becomes mistakes where they mm. most likely would not have done exactly what they did and score three touchdowns in a row. So to, to not take your points there is insane. I know if there's any coach in the NFL who's going to do that, it's Dan Campbell. And I know if they come into the next next season, if they go into the same exact position, they're going to do the same exact thing. Mm. But it, it's just crazy to me. And like, I was talking to people, I was like, you know, that's the right call on that time. No, no, it's not. Like I was arguing it the whole way. Like there is no way in hell you don't take your points there when you're up 24 to seven. Same thing when you're up 24 to 14, make it a full two score game instead of, uh, instead of losing the lead after two scores. And with that first drive in the second half, that's a three score game. If they kick their three. And, and those are the little, they didn't. those are the little things too, where it's not like you're going from, it's not like it's staying a two score game when you're kicking the field goal or staying a one score game. It's not like you're going from seven to 10 or something like that, where you're like, okay, two touchdowns. It's still and like, you know, you're, you're moving the needle a whole nother, they have a whole nother yeah. possession where they have to make it. You're extending the game now where, you know, now their comeback attempt is going to be even more difficult. I, 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 you know, is it like, 10%, 8% defensible where you just go, Hey, do we just put the knife in the back and just end the game right here? Like maybe there, there is a slight case for it, but I do agree. Like if I was making the play call in that situation, I was like, okay, I really do hope that they kick the field goal here. And the thing is you're watching that game. You know, it's Dan Campbell, you know? So what, so what did that play call then make you think of Dan Campbell? Cause in the moment I'm thinking, okay, I, I know this is a, again, a good, it's a, it's an amazing opportunity to be aggressive because you can really make a statement on the game. But I don't want to say if you're if you're a good coach, but you know, I don't know how else to put it, but it, again, if you're a good coach, do you kick the field goal? They're like, what does that make you think about Dan Campbell now where, you know, Lamar on one in this game might be MVP, like Dan Campbell might be coach of the year. Yeah, and like if you're if you're up by maybe like just like one score, like I I say go for it. But like you're you're up by Make it 14 instead of 10. It's it's 24 to 7. You're, you're up by 17 points. You can make this a three-touchdown game if you kick the field goal. And you just so – I mean, he put his balls on the floor, and then he had to pick them back up. Like, that's exactly how that went. And then next drive, they get the ball back. Same exact thing happens. Even you add a yard. This is fourth and three this time. He's like, oh, let's do – like, I didn't learn from my mistake. Let's do the same thing. I still think Dan Campbell is a hell of a coach, and, like, he's exactly what Detroit needs to succeed. But in that situation, you just have to understand, like, where you're at as a team. Like, your offense kind of came out slower. Take your points. Because if you if you put the points on the board there, like you said, like, it takes a, a tick. Like, the Niners can go from needing a touchdown but also being able to kick a field goal to, oh, it's touchdown or nothing. And mm. if that's the kind of pressure you're putting on the Niners, like, that you win the game. But they didn't do that. They allowed them to be able – because I think Jake Moody kicked – two 40 plus yard field goals in the second half 
in drives mm. where if you just take the field goals as the Lions, like he like doesn't even have the opportunity to come out in the field because if they don't score a touchdown, they don't win the game. So yeah, the Lions are the the Niners drives in the second half. Field goal on the first drive of the second half, and then touchdown, touchdown, field goal, and then another touchdown. So you're right. I mean, they have to score touchdowns on at least one of those drives, if not both, just by making, you know, three points. Uh, yeah, on one I thing. Mean, you ha- you go from be not be- you can't kick you can't take any kicks in the fourth quarter at that point. Like you cannot come out and kick a field goal in the fourth quarter if you're down by three touchdowns. If you kick a if you kick a field goal, you're throwing in the towel because that uh, that would all that do. You get your three points. You kick the ball off. You allow the Lions to take as much time off the clock as they want by running the ball, which they were able to do the entire game. And then when you're just handing the the Niners the ball back and they, they go down and score, that takes away your ability to be able to chew clock with the run game. You have to move down the field. You definitely don't have to do it like with lightning speed, but you've got to be quicker than if you can, if you're up by three scores. You can take an eight-minute drive and run the ball and kick a field goal, and then that's a successful drive because of how many points you're up. If you're only up by maybe a touchdown, I could definitely understand why you go for it on fourth down, but in that position, there's no way in hell that should ever happen. And now, now I know you said that the whole team choked pause, but I do think that do we need to clear, clear Jared Goff's name? Cause I do, I do actually feel like Jared Goff kind of proved something in this postseason run where he was fantastic. I think in every game they played and that, that first game against the Rams, like Stafford on the other side where, you know, I don't know if we peek ahead to the QB trust rankings. Stafford was incredible in that first playoff game. Goff was able to match him got the plays in the fourth quarter, was, you know, great in the... Who did they play next? Was it the Cowboys? No, they, they played they, they played, uh, played the Bucs. They played the Bucs last week yeah. against Baker yeah. Mayfield. And then um, he, he was clutching that game as well, too, where the Bucs were feisty in that one. And then in this game, I, I feel like he kind of made the plays when he needed to make the plays. And if you go through the miscues that the Lions make, that kind of allowed this comeback. I mean, you've got the fourth down calls, like you said, but you got the Reynolds drop on the third and 10. Jamison Williams as well, too, drops a touchdown that Goff puts in there for him. Pause. Reynolds has another drop on fourth and two. And then Gibbs has the fumble as well. And again, on those drop passes, like Goff is making the pass and that's fourth down, third down, where the receiver's just not making the play at the end there. I I feel like... like is did Goff? Can we can, does Goff take any blame for this one? Because for me, I actually feel like Goff kind of comes out clean. He played a very good game. I think the second fourth down, where it's fourth and three, that was the ball. That was the second Reynolds drop, right? Or if he threw it to Reynolds and in, in that area, and he didn't get it. So I, I think the fourth down might have actually been. I think the fourth pressure. down was the first drop, and then the third and ten was the second yeah. drop. Okay, yeah. So on that fourth down, the fourth and three, following that, that second fourth down where they should have kicked that field goal. I think it was Josh Reynolds who he originally threw the ball to, but he had Jamison Williams right behind him on a dig where I, if you look at the tape, he's mm. wide open. I understand. And like with Jared Goff, you're rolling out of the pocket, you're under pressure. You need to make a throw and you're not like thinking clearly of like every single read on the field. But like, if he throws the ball five yards behind Josh Reynolds, Jamison Williams wide open that you don't even have to worry about that. It's first and goal. I understand that's a difficult throw. And I'm just, a, I'm somebody who doesn't know shit. Who's never played football a day in his life. But uh, he he made the wrong throw, and like I understand like the pressure, so you can't say he should have made the right throw, but it, you could definitely say it was the wrong throw. 
And there was also a throw in the to Gibbs too, where it was a, like a first and ten in the red zone, and Gibbs broke free in the back of the end zone, like kind of yeah. on like a seam, and he missed Gibbs on that touchdown as well too. But again, like on those third and fourth downs, he was clutch, and the run game was definitely effective for the entire game. But I mean, to start the game, that for their first thirteen carries, they were over eight and a half yards at attempt, yeah, two touchdowns. But the, the the last 16 carries, 16 attempts, 69 yards, the Gibbs fumble as well, too. So only, you know, 4.3 yards attempt. Again, still effective. Like, you could still run the Three offense that way. First down. Like, yeah, like, that's still effective. But, like, but they had eliminated the, the big plays. So often. They had kind of eliminated the big plays. And the Lions were, again, and just kind of through this playoff run in general, really relying on Goff. So yeah. I thought for a guy that was a, a number one overall pick, at one point. And I feel like looking at that draft, I think some of the individual, like Tyreek Hills in that draft, Chris Jones in that draft, insane draft for the chiefs. But in terms of the quarterbacks in that draft, that's the Carson Wentz draft obviously goes number two. And the only other guy that's really emerged as a starter from that draft is Dak. Yeah. And funny enough, like I Dak and Wentz actually both have more MVP votes than Goff has for their career. Like Wentz was, you know, got the MVP votes in 2017 yeah. Dak in 2016, and then he's going to get some MVP votes probably this year as well, too. But unfortunately, I, I do feel like Goff now, again, with this playoff run, has kind of proved himself where it's tough to say, like, ooh, number one pick. Like, where, you know, it, it to these guys work out to varying degrees, obviously, but he's this is now two playoff runs that he's made. He's been to a Super Bowl, two conference finals. And I like, would you take Goff over Dak in a playoff game right now? I, oh, right now, yes. Stepping Dak on the trust Prescott rankings has, a little bit. Dak Prescott, he's not on my he's not on my trust list, dude. <laughs> it's every, a top he, 10, every spoiler single alert. playoff game that he has played, he has not done shit for fuck. So I feel like looking at that at, at that draft now, you're like, okay, Goff is the number one quarterback in that class is kind of the kind of the right clearly. move. As of right now, it's it's clearly Goff. You're saying unless Carson Wentz makes a comeback. Uh, he's not coming back. Are you kidding me? There's no way. Like, is that the, J- the Jacoby Brissett class as well, too? Maybe like he stumbles he onto to, a team. It had to be a Brock Purdy situation where he signs as a third string. Both the quarterbacks have season-ending injuries right in front of him, and that he just has to like emerge with like a 21-year-old ACL instead of the third one that he's got going right now. Well, speaking of Purdy, what do you make of Purdy now after this one? You can't really, you can't really say that he's like the checkdown master. Like a lot of the plays, like in the second half to keep them alive, were like 15, 20 yard scrambles. Mm. Like he, like he made the decisions to like keep those drives alive. So like, I know you could say like, oh, he's got like the best offense in the NFL. All he has to do is throw the ball three yards to the best guys, and they'll go and take it for him. But like, you can't just like put anybody who like has like a bachelor's degree behind center and expect them to like read an open field and scramble out and make those type of plays keep game winning drives alive. Like his stock definitely went up after that. And I know that the, so the thing that like Jimmy G had proved on the Niners with Shanahan, the things that you kind of needed to run the team was like, okay, you need to be able to run the offense, make the reads. But there was like a, there was a clutch thing that Jimmy G had too, as well, where just end of games, he could get a drive together Basically, like the really the only couple of plays that he doesn't like in the Super Bowl, he misses Sanders. And then in the NFC championship against the Rams, he has the pick. You know, he has a couple of moments, but a lot, you know, in the regular season, a lot of playoff games, Jimmy G was clutch. 
And Brock Purdy has definitely been those two things for the Niners. Like he's yeah. been clutch, been able to run the offense, but the scrambling thing and the mobility was kind of always the the thing that was the thing that separated him. And I think the reason that they were ended up going in that direction, there's some contract as well stuff too. I mean, he's the the last pick in the draft, but the scramble, the 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 mobility element was really the thing I think that they were looking to add. I mean, it's why they drafted Trey Lance, why they traded up in the yeah. the draft for him because of his athleticism. And I I felt like the big move for them in the second half was in the in the first half, Purdy was doing the mobility thing. He was doing it all year, but he was doing it to like extend the play, throw the throw the ball downfield. And in the second half, you're right. They I I don't know if this was a coaching move or just Purdy, but instead of like throwing the ball, it was just run. They're like, okay, yeah. just run. Just pick up the yards. Take your space and go. Like that's exactly what he did. It worked in his favor almost every single time. So these are just these are just some of the early passes he makes in the game. He goes, he has the early pass to Ayuk, where he just completely overthrows Ayuk. He almost throws it right to Sutton. And Ayuk has to, I don't know if there was miscommunication, but Ayuk has to like swoop in, break up the interception. Yeah. He goes, he rolls out at one point, throws back across the field and use check, has to make a lunging catch, grab it. He then throws the pick where another time where he's pressured. I think the ball got tipped as well, too, but. Again, like kind of into the middle of the field, four guys, Debo Samuels there, the 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 play on third and four. So the Ayuk pass, obviously, where he throws the ball downfield right off the defender's face, Mac throws it to Ayuk. But the play before that, or a couple of plays before that, was Jennings on third and four. Again, Purdy just running out, yeah. throwing a ball across the field. Jennings just makes an insane one-handed catch that the Ayuk thing is just going to overshadow. And plus the Ayuk thing puts him in scoring position as well, too. But after that Ayuk throw, he only he has seven pass attempts. Only two of them go for 10, 10 or more yards. But he has three carries, and all of them go for 10 or more yards. Two of them go for 20-plus yards. So you were the, the scrambling thing, it was the thing that they were looking for in him, you know, a, a, amongst a, some other things over Jimmy G. But really that mobility thing. And I think really just the move to, hey, you don't need to, like, try to be a hero on all this stuff. Where I think it, maybe Lamar on the other side as well, too, kind of had troubles with that where he was trying to be a hero a little bit at times where maybe there was plays where he could have just tucked the ball and run. And we saw Purdy doing that in this game. And that was the thing I think that was the big adjustment, at, at least later, that allowed him to make make these drives. But um, Purdy, like we said, uh, every, everybody's kind of doing the the Tom Brady thing because he's been, you know, like another late round draft prospect. I didn't Brady wasn't a Mr. Irrelevant, but like a, a six round pick, seventh round pick for Purdy. So they kind of get the cross comparison there. But really, does he does he feel more like the next Brady or the next Eli Manning? Because I mean, looking at the throws he was making in this game, he's got a little Eli Manning in him. I mean, running around, chaos, like is the pass accurate? Somehow it finds the way to the receiver. I mean, the tire that IU catch is like. Is that the best catch not involving a, a Patriots player in the Super Bowl? <laughs> because the Patriots, you know, you got the Tyree Edelman. You've got the Seahawks catch in the Super Sorry. Bowl. Know with the, the track you're on. But, like, yeah, with that IU catch, it's like, it just comes down to concentration. Like, uh, like the Lions defender did everything he could to break that play up, and he just got an unlucky bounce, and Ayuk was on it the entire time and was able to make that catch and 
almost get into the end zone. He's luck. He's like the Lions were lucky that like his hand grazed like his thigh pad and that he had to go down yeah. by contact. But like the ball doesn't lie. Like in the next two plays after that, I think is when IU catches that touchdown. Yeah. And then uh, back to that Juwan Jennings catch who's, that set up like that whole drive. I, like, keep in mind, like I'm I'm just like a fat kid from the middle of Iowa, and I don't know shit for uh, fuck about football. But like, I think like the number one thing they teach quarterbacks is to like never like throw off their back foot across the middle of the field, which is exactly what Brock Purdy did. He dropped his balls, made just good enough of a throw for Juwan Jennings to go up and grab that thing, and he's just. It's it's like it's probably the trust in his receiver is like if I make this shitty ass throw you're gonna catch it, but like it's also just like luck like there's no way like mm. you can like there's no way you call that complete skill like it's complete it's skill the Eli on Manning. Jennings part yeah it's the Eli Manning it's complete skill on the wide receiver but it's just luck for the quarterback <laughs> that he has somebody who can make that catch. And hey, all 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 credit to Eli Manning. We are we know we're the number one Manning pod with uh oh yeah ultimate frisbee segment recorded on zoom but um i mean the, hey the tyree catch i think is pretty incredible and i know like manning the thing with manning too was like on those plays you know it was kind of like him avoiding pressure kind of clumsily stumbling around curdy in this yeah, game very clumsily there was a there was a there was a play where like the lions blitz him with the safety and he like spins out of it avoids the sack and like throws to you check on the sideline and i was like oh that's uh Got Eli Manning written all over it. Purdy's probably yeah. even a little bit more mobile than Eli Manning. I think a lot of guys oh, were. I hope so. <laughs> I think a lot like of guys were, Jim but Amos. was Peyton Manning more mobile than Eli Manning? Oh God, no. I Ooh. love Peyton Manning. Like, yeah, like I'll go to the grave for Peyton Manning. You know that, but like, like you know, you know, like the reason he had that rushing touchdown against the Cowboys on the goal line. Is because there's no Iconic. way how the Cowboys. Yeah, there's no way the hell the Cowboys think that like, oh, Peyton Manning's going to take this football and run with it. Like, no. One of the one of the great Tony Romo regular season games. There's a lot of great yeah. Tony Romo regular season. Fifty-two games. to forty-nine or fifty-three, fifty-one, whatever that final score was. I think it's top ten in NFL scoring. Shout out! To, shout out to Tony Romo. And coming up next, we're going to do a little Fataport's announcer. Uh, announcer rankings we're going to do we've got a couple of quarterback rankings but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to get those on the other side okay coming back we're going to continue a little bit i think with some of the bigger playoff picture stuff but the first of the rankings that we're going to do quickly is i asked fataport to power rank his cube so this is his qb trust power ranking so this is not necessarily I, I wanted it to be QB trust because sometimes we get, you know, who's the best quarterback in the league, who's the the resume, all this stuff. I just want to know, plug him in, pause in a game. Who do you trust in big moments to get the job done? Top 10 guys. And I think I think we all know who your number one is. It's obviously Mahomes. So I think is it is it? I don't I don't know is if it? it's if it's a coming up next. Well, just go number one. Do we need to just start right number off one? the top? I Is it not Mahomes? I want to go from the bottom and work my way up. Is it not Mahomes? Let's start from the bottom. Let's start from the bottom. Okay, okay. So we'll go with number 10. When you brought the idea to me and you said, like, quarterbacks that you would trust rankings, when I think of trust, like, my first thing is game-winning drive. Like, if if I'm in a game-winning drive, two-minute drill, down, okay. by, down by six, who can – what quarterback can I plug in, go down the field, and they're going to win? 
So I'm going to start off with an honorable mention because he's not currently good enough to be on this list. But when you think of game-winning drives, you have to mention him. So I'm going to go with Derek Carr. Oh, because like in his okay. in his tenure as an NFL quarterback, I think he's top five in game-winning drives, <laughs> which is just an insane stat for how terrible he is at football. Like I, I don't get it. So are you saying? Like, so are you like? Do you want Derek Carr for the whole game, or literally just one drive? Just two-minute drill down by six. That's all I want him out there. Oh, put Jameis Winston in the rest of the game. If we get into that situation, you throw Derek Carr out there, and then you get him. Like that's because as of right now in the NFL, that's all he's good for. Oh, so this is Fatterport's QB on ice power rankings. Jameis yeah, Winston's going to be doing the first 58, but subbing in the last two minutes. First up, Derek Carr, yeah. honorable mention. So who's subbing in for Jameis Winston? Uh, number 10, first so guy on the 10, list. And I will <laughs> mention now that I didn't use like, like the only thing that I looked up for this was like amount of game winning drives that they've had in their career. Okay. Other than that, it just was straight up like how I feel about this guy. Okay. So number 10 on my list is Jared Goff. Hmm. Okay. It's just like the level of quarterback he's playing right now. Um, number nine is going to be Brock Purdy. I know he's only been in the league for two years, but uh, like I, maybe it's a recency bias throwing me off here, but when you're down 24 to seven and you come back and win the game in the NFC championship, I feel like I should be able to trust you a little bit, which clearly Okay, I did a ranking as well too, and I actually had I had these guys like slightly higher, but I did have Purdy and Goff back to back. And again, going back to the game, I feel like both of those guys, like just individually, those guys both kind of played the same. Like I yeah. feel like if you swapped Purdy and Goff, like I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if necessarily the outcome is different. Then you get you get the drops, you get the fumble by Gibbs. Yeah, I feel like Goff could throw it off of the the corner's face mask. Probably. I mean, yeah, he he throws the ball 40 times in a game, pretty much 30 game, 30 times. Uh, and I had I had Purdy. I did have Purdy one spot above him because he ended up winning the game. Yeah. Uh, number eight, uh, recency bias will not agree with me, but maybe it might. I'm going Baker Mayfield. Mm, okay. Strictly because he has the dog in him. I'm sensing a theme with Fataport's list. We'll see what okay. happens when he gets to the... It'll change. Don't worry. It <laughs> gets to the top. It's Baker, with Baker did pick, not. But it will change. Baker did not make my top 10. So I'm curious to see of the guys that I have down who Baker ended up knocking off. But I Baker in the, you know, in this sort of, you know, top 10 is definitely, I think, high end for Baker Mayfield. But just like this tier of guys where we're like in the C and D tier guy, like I feel like he's a he's a, a solid starter loving core starter level quarterback to some degree next year. I will say we are going to talk about the coaches as well, too. The, I feel like he was in a good system, but I, yeah, I'm hoping that he did Bucks play well, get something. I'm hoping the bucks will work some sort of contract out where maybe at least another year, maybe two. I know obviously he's not getting like the long-term guy, but he's, he's good enough right now. It just depends on if they want to tank so that they don't end up as a mediocre team again. Yeah. But, and he was aggressive throwing the ball down the field as well, too. So, I mean, you have to be – you can't be a bad quarterback and make a playoff run doing that. And let's let's get the racism out of the way here. Seven <laughs> of my ten guys are white. Get over it. Here we oh, go. Oh, seven All of right. them. Number seven. Number seven, I'm going Joe Burrow. Oh. Uh, just he's, he's just, like, one of the best pocket passers in the NFL. And, like, two-minute drill, you have to be able to stand there, release the ball, and take a hit. And, like, that's just what he does. 
Burrow outside the top five? I have Burrow outside the top five for the, for the trust. Like when I think a game winning drive, like there's quarterbacks I'd rather have above him. What is so? What has Burrow done that on the game winning drive front? Lose to the that Chiefs. makes you doubt him. Well, I guess not lose to the Chiefs because he's more known for beating them. But he's the one guy to do I don't it. Know, it's not really like what he's done to like be lower on the list. It's what like the guys above him have done to be above him. Hmm. All the other good white quarterbacks. When you when you hear the guys I have on the list, you might disagree with what I just. Are there said. five white but quarterbacks better than I Joe Burrow? Uh, for trust rankings, there's three. Okay, I was gonna say I could I I did think of three, but well, well my well, three non-white guys are in my top six, so you can <laughs> you can stop with the Mister Racist guy over here. All right, number six, we have our first non-white. Uh, who just lost to the Kansas City Chiefs? I put Lamar Jackson. Hmm. The MVP of the league outside the top five. Yeah. Sorry about it. Sorry. Lamar over Burrow. Um, yeah. Still. Uh, yeah. After has Burrow thrown that pick in the playoffs? I mean, no. But it's Lamar. The run, is it the throw, athleticism down the field? Like he can. He's the only quarterback that I would be fine with running the ball in a two-minute drill. Mm. Oh. The only one. So not another one that I think is probably going to be coming up soon. Uh, number five. This is where it gets kind of questionable, but I put Kirk Cousins. Oh, okay. Kirk Cousins. I'm not going to lie. I yeah. kind of forgot about Kirk. Yeah, I put I put Kirk Cousins. And Let me revisit hurt, the so list like, quick. I have Kirk Cousins at five. Uh, just because of like when you think of like two minute drills and trust, you need a passer, and he's one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the league. I know he's old. I know his contracts. Kirk Cousins over there. Burrow? Yes, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy, Fatboy. I Burrow's I been in a Super Bowl. Fuck, dude. Burrow was in a Super Bowl. He beat Mahomes to get to the Cousins. Super Bowl. Give me Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I want Iguodala. I want Iguodala. The Martians right, are four. attacking Earth on a two minute drive and. Batterford said, I want Kirk Cousins. Number four, I'm taking CJ Stroud. Uh, just because he's like, he's he's consistent. Like, he's going to give you a 270 passing yards for three touchdowns every single week with no picks. I'm not even going to so argue I'm that. That's Stroud there. I would agree that that is the highest you could put him. And you're, okay, my, your top three is probably my top three. Well, no, it's not because I have Burrow in my top three. Oh, you're stupid. Burrow beat Mahomes. Okay, 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 okay. You hear my top three, and then you'll understand. Number three, I have Matthew Stafford. One Matthew Stafford most, was my like, number three. Consistent, clutch, white quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, there's no arguing that. You, you so Yeah, so you probably don't have my number two, which is 39-year-old, 40-year-old, 70-year-old Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah, so you really are the last two minutes. Yeah, the, the clutch guys. Like, you give him the ball. You, you trust him to make the plays that need to be made. You trust him to be the best the best ball handler pause in the NFL, the best tight spiral pause in the NFL. Like, when he throws the ball in the two-minute drill, it looks the same as if he throws the ball every other minute of that game. Uh, Yeah, and then one, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. Like, if you can go down the field for mm, two seconds okay. in a fucking playoff game, like, there's if you pick anybody else at one, you have mentally – you have mental problems. We both had Stafford at three. I wanted to see where you had Stafford. 
Yeah. I mean, he I, was okay. incredible in that wild to card start, game. When I was making this list, he was in my mind the whole time, and I straight up just forgot to put him down. So, like, before this segment, <laughs> yeah. I had Carr at 10, but I had to shift my entire list so that Carr just eventually just made it not in the list. I know I, I could have kept Carr and taken out Baker. I could have taken out Kirk Cousins. Apparently, I should have put Joe Burrow higher, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I can give you my QB trust rankings real quick. So I had Mahomes number one. So this is this is how I thought about it. And this is, I, th- I actually thought about this after I had asked you about it too, because I was, you know, thinking about it more. Mm-hmm. So this would be, so I was thinking like emergency Super Bowl QB. So one of the quarterbacks mm-hmm. gets hurt or they get to like replace a QB for the game. Which of these teams would they take? And that kind of keeps us okay. in for this season as well too, because, like, I think with Stafford specifically, you know, there's an age thing as well, too, yep. next season and then, you know, going forward. But, like, in for, for this season, if they had to sub in for the game, who would these teams trust? So, you know, if, if Mahomes was a free agent, you take Mahomes. I think you take Burrow second. And that's okay. where I had Stafford third. I think yeah. for this season, like, if Purdy goes down and they could just have a guy from anybody, I think they're taking yeah. Stafford. If, if that's the way I thought about it, I definitely would have had Joe Burrow a lot higher on this list, and Derek Carr would be nowhere fucking near it. Yeah, if you had to play the but, whole game, Derek Carr's not on your yeah, radar. Derek Carr's not in the top 32. Huh. If that's the case, there's no way. Bailey Zappi? backup quarterbacks in front. I'm taking Brett Ripien. I'm taking Jarrett Stidham. Huntley? I'll take Russell Wilson without a right hand. Like, yeah, Huntley. I'll take Justin Tucker. I'll, I'll start taking punters oh. over Derek Carr. McCaffrey at QB. I still, so Anyone. I had staff, I had Stafford at three and then I still had the next tier down was Lamar, Josh Allen, Jalen hurts. I had all those guys kind of together. Shit, I forgot about Josh Allen. <laughs> you do you need to redo the list. You want to throw another white guy on there? Okay. Okay. Get, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're going to do. Can I keep reading the list? You want another white guy, Justin Herbert? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take Baker Mayfield the fuck off my list. And I'm going to put Josh Allen at eight below Lamar and Burrow just because of how many picks that he can throw. I agree with that. That's how I have it on my list. He's still on the list. So I'll do that. Did you, did you want to add Herbert on your list? No, no. Oh, Derek Carr over Herbert. I thought of Herbert the entire time and purposely did not put him on here. Hmm. I, 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 I forget the, that Badaport's Broncos fan sometimes. I forget it, that is. It could be the bias. It, it's probably the bias. But, yeah, I mean, rookie year, yeah. Last year he threw a lot of picks. You, you can't throw a QB out here. I can trust him to throw two interceptions in the game. That's about it. Where would you have Richardson? I haven't seen enough of him to rank him. Yeah. There's not enough. And I even I, had – if he played a full season, he'd probably be in the top 10. Minshew was in, Min, they just announced today, Minshew made the Pro Bowl. We're recording this Tuesday night. Would Good. Richardson be in the Pro Bowl if he played this year? Oh, oh yeah. If Minshew made it. <laughs> Richardson would have like, what, 20 touchdowns? At least. 30, 20 on the, I'm thinking like 20 on the, 20 on like 15 on, 10 on the ground. At, 20 at in the, 15 in the air, 10 on the ground. 15 on the air, maybe just because. Jonathan Taylor has like 15 as well, too. They're just not throwing the ball a yeah. lot. I feel like he could have done a... He's going to tear it up on the ground this year. He's going to have a good a good rushing yeah. season. So the stats would have been there for him. Cousins was a good... Cousins was the guy that I, I forgot to put 
put on. So I would put. Don't forget about Big Kirko. I would put him in the Purdy Goff tier. Okay. Maybe. Maybe Purdy and Goff like kind of in their own thing, and then Kirk Cousins once. I I would have Cousins between Purdy and Goff and Prescott, and then okay. So you so I like that you you had Derek Carr over. What you have Dak on your list? He's out of the top ten. Okay, he's at like eleven or he's a he's at twelve now that Kirk Cousins is on there. I do have Anthony Richardson at number ten, so. Could I you just, bump I feel up the like, spot? What do you play? Three games, four games. Richardson? But Derek, you would take Derek Carr in a playoff game over Prescott. In a playoff game, I would take a trash can over over Dak Prescott. <laughs> it's probably my Cowboys bias, but in the playoffs, he's just like he's Ben DiNucci in the playoffs. Mm. He's he's who's the Raiders QB that just played terrible hey, first no overall com- pick. Jamarcus Russell? No, Jamarcus Russell. He's Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to a playoff game. Like you're talking about a guy who like single-handedly sold them, like gave them their loss in the playoffs last season when he decided to just like, oh, there's 13 seconds and we don't have a timeout. Let's run the ball at the middle of the field. No. Like you can't like that just like shows that like you know, like in a regular season game, sure, have at it. In a game that you have to win, no. And this year sure. he threw three picks against the Packers. No. Jordan Love, you take Love over Dak? I would take Jordan Love over Dak. Tua? No. Hmm, so that's the cutoff. Yeah. Too many picks. Trying to I'm trying to see if there's any other guys up that I'm looking at that like are in make the case tag category. Sam Howell. <sighs> <No. laughs> you want to talk about picks. So if so and if you're I don't running know if you really blame Sam Howell for all the picks, but like he threw all the picks. So, like, he has definitely some sort of blame. So, I'm you're running the Niners, and Purdy has to, for some reason, not be able to play in the game. And you could replace him with Dak or Bryce Young. Who are you picking? You really put me in a bad spot here. Because, <laughs> like, my brain was like, say Bryce Young. But, like, as much as I hate Dak, I don't hate him that much. If you're actually trying to win the game. Will Levis? Yeah, if you trend when yes, Will Levis actually I would take <laughs> over Dak. Just 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 to see, just roll the dice with Will Levis. I would take Brock Osweiler over Dak Prescott in a playoff game. Ooh. Beat he beat or beat Tom Brady on a Sunday night. Paxton Lynch. I'll take Paxton Lynch in a playoff game over Brock over Dak Prescott. Paxton Lynch was probably the worst first round pick of the Broncos history. Yeah, you'd get investigated yes, for that game. Oh, absolutely. But everybody would assume you had the the other team's money line. I mean, you'd take him if you want to lose that game. Gino? Eh, maybe. Maybe Gino last Gino twenty twenty two? Yes. Gino twenty twenty three? Maybe not. Okay, there's a couple more. There's another ranking we're gonna get to, but before we do Fataport's final ranking. I we're gonna really quickly run through some head coaching news, and Fataport's gonna give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. There's been some the the coaching carousel has been in full swing lately. I think there's only two jobs that are left that are open at this point. Like we said, we're recording Tuesday night, mm-hmm. the Seahawks and the Commanders, and I believe as well today yeah. too that. 
Ben Johnson announced that he was returning with Detroit, which for Detroit fans in general, maybe we'll get good into and good for Detroit fans. Cause in terms of keeping their window open, it's exactly where he needs to be. Yeah. That's huge. I think, uh, and I is does he need to be there because like we don't want we don't want to see him in Washington? Like we don't want to see a potential good head coach go to Washington. I just he has a better opportunity in Detroit to stay as the OC than he does head coaching either of the two teams that are currently mm. open. That's just that's just how it is. Okay, so why don't you okay, give us a give us a rating one to ten on the hire. What do you what do you think of the hire? How you think it's gonna work out? If you wanna being the best. 10 being the best? We'll do one or 10. We'll do dunk contest style, 10 being the best. 10 being the best? Okay. Hands down, 10. And you're probably... Okay, wait, here, I'll go... Well, we'll go through them, and I'll I'll ask you about them quickly. Okay, okay. Because there's there's some other non-head coach stuff, too, that I want to throw at you, pause. But um, the Falcons go for Raheem Morris, Rams defensive coordinator, 1 to 10. Use a decimal if you need to. Um, I'll go with seven. Not too many. I mean, seven? with the with the Rams roster, like the defense, how it was, like he didn't, like he obviously has Aaron Donald, but other than that, he didn't really have a lot to work with, and they were still a pretty good defense this mm-hmm. season. And then obviously, like their defense won the Super Bowl. Like we can't we can't let that go either. So yeah, I like the hire. Yeah, I completely agree. There's a lot of young talent in that defense, and I think they definitely overperformed. Again, a lot of the success yeah. stuff that they had was with the offense. But like we're saying, the thing is he does have a little bit of previous head coaching experience as well, too. He coached for Tampa in three years from 09 to 2011. I wouldn't say a well-remembered tenure, unfortunately. But, I mean, that was a decade ago. So I think after this Rams performance anyways, we're at the second shot. So 7 out of 10. For the Falcons. The Bills, they bring in Joe Brady as an offensive coordinator over Ken Dorsey. Joe Brady and Bobby Badgett as the defensive coordinator. But Ken Dorsey ends up going to the Browns. So Ken Dorsey to the Browns, one out of ten. As their OC. As their OC. Like a five. Hmm. So you kind of like the way the Bills looked without him. Yeah, I I did. So did you actually think it was the right move to get rid of him? Because I know in the moment, uh, a lot of people thought it wasn't. I don't know if it was... Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I don't know if people really, like, blamed him or or Josh Allen more. Because, like, at that time, Josh Allen led the league in picks. They had just come off, like, a three-interception game where the offense just completely lost them that game. But, like, down the stretch, like, that offense just got a lot better, obviously. They ended up as the number two seed in the AFC without them. Uh, so, I, I like them a lot better with that. I think their offense offense ran smoother without them. Mm. Dave Canellis, I think I said that right, goes to yeah. the Panthers from the Bucks. the Bucks offensive coordinator. Was the Bucks offensive coordinator with Baker Mayfield last year? Was the Seahawks, I think, either quarterback's coach or passing game coordinator? With Geno Smith last year, or or two seasons ago, sorry. So I mean, career year for Geno Smith under this guy, career year for Baker Mayfield. Now he's got a chance at Bryce Young. 
I mean, yeah, if they're if they're looking in somebody to make their quarterback better, then this was the right hire for sure. Uh, I'll put like a seven, seven on this one as well. I I didn't really know who this guy was when they hired him, and apparently they didn't. There's something about like they didn't like interview anyone else, or like their their interview process was super short with this guy. So they must have just seen something they liked with him right away. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised because, like we said, the fact that both of those quarterbacks who were you know, Gino, I think was a little like Baker could still have. I don't. Is Baker thirty yet? Yeah, I don't even know. If, thirty this year. Okay, so he just turned thirty. Maybe Gino just turned thirty last year as well too. But you know, turned around a couple of veteran guys, got career years out of them. I think it's an interesting shot compared to some of the other offensive coordinators that were out there. Some of the younger ones, because I know yeah. the Dolphins' offensive coordinator, the Houston's offensive coordinator. I I. It, it, it's a tough situation there with Bryce Young. Again, I still like Bryce Young, but I think there's a lot of work to do there to turn that around. So it's going to be a hard job, but I'm going to be interested to see what he does. Did you like the Pierce return to the Raiders? The best one. Best one by far. Oh! If they hire if they hire anybody else, that team just goes rips to shreds and hates the entire front office. Like, you had guys like Max Crosby threatening for a trade if they didn't hire Antonio Pierce. Mm. Like that's just how much the locker room loves this guy and like rallies around him to win. So like, to me, this is the best hire by far. They also bring in Tom Telesco, the former Chargers GM, and in the same since position. Since they had the best head coach, they had to have the worst GM hire because what he did to <laughs> the Chargers was just fucking awful. So they're not going to give Pierce any help, unfortunately. No, no, they're really not. They 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 hired a guy who just like tore down the Chargers defense and just made it ex- like what it is, which is shit. So like, no, no, I didn't like that hire at all, but I love their head coach hire. Well, speaking of the Chargers, do your spiel on Harbaugh quickly. I nine out of 10. I think it's, it's one of the more perfect fits for Harbaugh to be in the NFL. I know I was on your side, wanted him to stay at Michigan. I still wish that would have happened, but like he, he said in an interview, it's like the college football doesn't have a Lombardi trophy. I think that interview was this morning or yesterday. So I, I understand like there's nothing, there's, there's nothing better than the NFL when it comes to coaching and playing and all that. So like, that's always his goal was to get back there. I just wish he would have stayed at Michigan a little bit longer. Yeah. Even a little bit longer. He was there after the national title for 20 days. Yeah. Yeah. Not even three weeks, but sure more. I liked that. I love it. I, I I'm like excited. That. Yeah. I would be if I was a Michigan fan too bad. I fucking hate them. <laughs> More tears is always good on the sideline. We like the yeah. the passion. But he, I think he did prove himself a little bit too with the way that he handled himself when Harbaugh was out. And I think he would have been a highly coveted, you know, head coaching prospect for the other colleges out there too, looking at him and probably where to work, you know, would have worked his way up in the ranks. I, I love giving him the opportunity. I think it's a great hire. But the Patriots bring in Mayo to replace Belichick? I don't know if I'm a huge fan of this one. Just because it felt mm. like like it felt like Bill set up like this succession plan for Gerard Mayo, Bill. And if that's the case, that, that's what it felt like. It was like Bill Belichick's like, we're gonna part ways. You're gonna hire this guy, which makes me feel like it's gonna be like the same type of coaching situation. I know it's obviously a different face, probably a different type of play style, but uh, I'm gonna put I'm gonna say like a four out of ten mm. with this one. Just because I'm kind of worried about what it's going to look like. It, it probably will take time for it to work. But I feel like it's just going to be too similar to Bill because, like, that's like he like brought this guy through the coaching staff and everything. Like, 
almost like made his template like exactly what Bill Belichick's was, which was starting to not work in New England. So that's kind of what my worry is. And I think what me and Sam had talked about too is when these like when when coaching hires happen, like sometimes they'll they'll make a coaching hire where they switch up like the style. But like you're saying, they didn't really do that here. Mm-hmm. So outside of the like the you know the managing the on the field stuff. The other big responsibility for the head coach is staffing the rest of the coaching positions and making sure that all that's at its strength. So if you're not changing the style, I mean, you're really making the coaching change because you trust Mayo's ability to staff the, you know, staff the coaching positions better than Belichick's in my mind anyway. And there's some, you know, personnel stuff as well too. there. Belichick, he needs a little bit more control, but if Mayo can figure out the hiring thing and then bring the same sort of edge, you know, I think there's a world where, they're able to make that work. So we'll see if they're able to pull that off, but pause. There's a, there's a couple of other coordinator ones that were interesting. Kellen Moore and Fangio went to the Eagles and then Arthur Smith went to the Steelers. I don't know if you saw either of those. I saw, I did see those. I remember seeing Arthur Smith today, forgetting what team it was, but yeah, the Steelers. That he got hired Uh, to. Yeah. Today. He forgot what team he was hired on. No, I forgot. I saw oh, I thought morning, he forgot. I forgot it was the. No, I forgot it was the Steelers until right now. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I've heard like there's a lot of Steelers fans who don't like it. There's Steelers fans that do. Mm. I think it's a good fit. Like, and I know, like I'm a Pat McAfee show fan, and like they're like always on the positive side of him because they brought him on once a week. So Arthur it might Smith. Be a good fit. <laughs> yeah, it might be a good fit. We'll see. Uh, and then Kellen Moore, you said. Kellen Moore and Vic Fangio to the Eagles. Yeah, so so Vic's going to be the DC, and then yeah. Kellen Moore. I I like the offensive coordinator play because Kellen Moore has been like a head coaching candidate for like the past three years. What it seems like mm-hmm. has constantly just been in an OC role. It's worked out pretty well, except this year for the Chargers didn't seem like it really like took effect like everyone thought it was going to. Yeah, but maybe it'll work and. Uh, Philadelphia, and then Vic Fangio. I, like I'm a Broncos fan, so obviously I hate it because he's terrible. Mm. But as oh, what the fuck, turn off. All right, but uh, as he's a good defensive coordinator. Like he, Miami's defense wasn't supposed to be that good, and it was it was all right. Like it was almost more than all right. So yeah, and they were ravaged think, with injury too. Right. I, I think it'll fix like the defensive decline they had to in the last like seven games this season. I think that could fix that. It might be a little bit more consistent throughout the whole season. So, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that works. I I hate it because I hate Vic, but. And then lastly, Brian Callahan, the Bengals OC, goes to the Titans as their head coach to replace Mike Vrabel. Will Mike Vrabel be interviewing for the Titans job in four years? (laughs) You think so? (laughs) Um, I mean, Mike Vrabel could honestly get the Seahawks job. I don't know. That's kind of what I think. I don't know how that's gone, but like. Like the coaching style of Pete Carroll wasn't really a problem. So I, when I think of Averill, I think of Pete Carroll like pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say like same like like kind of tough? Style. Yeah, yeah. So like I could see him going to the C. I don't think his time as being a head coach is done. It's just no. done in Tennessee. I do agree that I think the Seattle is a good fit. And Pete Carroll, there's a, they're like they're moving him into an advisory role, so they're kind of keeping the same culture in place, in a yeah. way. So you know, bringing Mike Vrabel into that, I think, uh, could make a lot of sense. But the last thing we're gonna do to wrap up a new segment. I don't know if this will be a weekly thing. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But um, 
it, we did have something for it this week. It's called Fataport's Favorites. So I know we teased it a little bit earlier, but it's Fataport's Favorites. And this week we're doing for the inaugural opening edition of Fataport's Favorites. Favorite announcers for the NFL. So did you say a top five? I did a top five. Top five favorite announcers. So is this like, is this a mix of like the play-by-play, the color guy? Is it all one or the other? Do you like it's one like, per like one one kind more than the other? Kind of like just how like their voice flows, like throughout the game. Like when you listen to it, you don't want to like punch your TV. Mm. Like it flows well. Like there's definitely one name on my list of five that people are gonna be like, well, why the fuck is he on here? But like. <laughs> You'll, and you'll see when I get to it. But like they like the way they call games just flows through. You don't really give it much attention because of how good it is. Like you only really give attention to the bad ones. Like this year, it was a lot of attention to uh, old guy. What's his name? Al Michaels. Mm. So uh, do you want me to start as like my go from five up or you want me to start with one and go down? I you you kind of like doing the reveal. I think you could start from five. I kind of like I, I kind of like doing this would be easier. Or this would be like more surprising as a reveal just because there's so many names. Yeah. And I, but, yeah, there's, there's so many names. I don't really know what order you have. There's, I don't feel like there's a Mahomes anymore. I feel like really. Romo, Romo, when he first, you know, first got on was maybe the Mahomes of the announcing the obvious number one, but I don't know He's if not that's even in my top five. Romo is out of the top five. So there He's we go. Top five. Hot start. Who is number five? Number five, I have Mike Tirico. He's ESPN. Mm, okay. Night football. Uh, I, I NBC like Sunday Night or, Football. I guess, yeah, he's Sunday Night Football now. He used to be ESPN, but now yeah. he's NBC. I, his voice just flows fine. Like when you like, like this is a name where it's like you don't hate yourself when you see that he's calling the game. Like you just, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, I could, I, like I could get with this. Like he's not going to ruin it, but he's not going to do anything too fancy. And Tariko has a career as like an actual sports media guy too. Like he had a radio show yeah. that he did. So, like, he can actually add to the broadcast in an opinion-type way that I think a lot of other of the other announcers can't, you know, or just, he's just better at because, you know, he's had Absolutely. more reps at it over his career. So, Tariko in the top five, I don't think anybody's Tariko mad about. Five. Uh, number four, this might be something that people are mad about, but he's just kind of like, it's Joe Buck. Like, oh, I know that okay. he gets a lot of negative attention, and I used to I don't think that's controversial. Man. I used to hate him so much. And I think it was kind of my dad who forced that on me because he just can't <laughs> fucking stand him. Yeah. Uh, he always was just like, so, oh, Joe Buck's a Patriots fan, like blah, blah, blah. Mm. He was like the Patriots glazer, like how people are glazing the homes now. Yeah. But like the, his like calls are just iconic. Like it's just the, like the deep voice to play by play where it, like not only is it NFL, he does World Series and stuff too. So like this yeah. is just like the name that you think of. And it, it just flows well. So I have him at four. And uh, he's admittedly got well, and he's go gotten better too, as well. Like, yeah, the thing is, like, some of the early calls are just bad calls. The Tyree call, the helmet yeah. catch call is just a bad call. I mean, it yeah. is, it is what it is. Listen to the radio broadcast or something if you want a, a good call for it. But I think he has, he's the guy that does the, the digs catch, right? The Minnesota miracle, dig sideline, yeah, the, the, yeah. The yeah. sideline touchdown that call is might a, be his best one. That's a great call. And it's like, that, that is not just chills. a great buck call. That's a, that's a, an all time call. That's all time. Best. One of the best calls. Yeah. When he just that goes, dig sideline touchdown. I'm literally getting goosebumps. Just he, thinking. Oh, about yeah. It. I, it gives you chills. Like he only said uh, three words that whole fucking time. And it's like one of the best ones. Like, 
like that call like shows that like you don't have to do too much to like make it like the best play by play ever. It's just like that, like the emphasis that you put into those three words is all he needed to do. And he did it perfectly. No. And you're right. Cause he lets it, he doesn't, he just lets it go after that too. He doesn't like really say best, anything. The best play by play guys are the ones who like are surprised when they react to the play. Like Al Michaels just calls it. Like he's not surprised. <laughs> he's not emotional about it. He's just like, Oh, and there's an 80 yard and that's going to go in for a touchdown. Like, like no, like when like those those big plays happen and you react to it, like just like react with like a raw emotion and then call it at the same time and it's perfect. So number three, uh, you could probably argue that Joe Buck's above him, but I just like his voice with the play by play. I have Kevin Burkhart. Ooh, he's probably not on most people's list, but just so like do you like the double baseball close. guys? I do, I do. Is is. What are what are like is Buck better at football than baseball? Is Burke what are the rankings for those guys? Are they both better Buck's at football? Definitely the best at football. Hmm. Uh Burkhart, I would say is probably better at baseball, but he's pretty good at both. Burkhart is next, really solid. That that yeah. that Fox crew of him and Olsen has has done yeah. a good job. And my top two guys are are both multi sport too. So like just like I don't think they're 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 the best announcers, I would argue, of all time. There's probably better football announcers above them, but in my top five, there's not. Hmm. Wait, so you said all time? Maybe, maybe not all time, but definitely okay, currently okay. across currently. sports. These are probably oh, all sports. Three. I got gotcha. you. I think you're going to like my second one because you're a big basketball guy. So I have Kevin Harlan at number two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kevin Harlan. Yeah, big TNT guy. His voice is just like, like the way he calls games is just like, it's just iconic. Like it's smooth. No, he's hands down the funniest announcer. 100%. I think that's pretty clear. And like the play by plays are so smooth and like he shows like the emphasis on emotion and stuff like that. I think it's, I think it's great. You almost hope that people, that somebody knows that Kevin Harlan is going to do the game and you just hope that somebody runs on the field. You almost hope yes. it happens at a Ken, Kevin yes. Harlan game. His reactions are so funny. They're the best. Uh, and then number one, uh, I like him when he does football. Probably the one of the best college basketball. I think because he's a big March Madness guy. Does he the final the, four? He does the Masters. Uh, he Scott does, Van Pelt. He does a little everything. No, it's uh, Jim Nance. Oh, I have yeah. him at number one. So wait, the list. So the only was there any color guys on your list? Or was that all play by play guys? All play by play. I don't. I don't really care for the color guys, honestly. So you don't like any of the color guys? I I like them, but just like. Not enough, like to put on the top five. So is that is do you is that just because of who's in the position, or is it you just like the play by play guys? I like the play by play guys. Like the play by play guys are like they're the play and they're the voice of the, the sports. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like they they know how to they know how to play everything. They know how to call everything without like these five know how to call everything without taking away from the game. Like you have Al Michaels, who he can call it pretty well. But like his emotion takes away from like what's actually happening on the field. That's why a lot of people hate him. Like these five guys, they they call it well and they they add like they add the star show to what's happening. They don't make it about themselves and they don't undermine it. They add to it, and that's what makes them great. So is Jim Nance the voice of the league then right now? I, I like him. I he's he's my favorite. And I know mm. he's he's not really I don't think he's like as recent years, he hasn't been as big in football, but I know he's a pretty big college basketball. Uh, he does 
all like the major golf tournaments. He's pretty good at those. So he's my personal favorite. I think it's pretty close for football. I don't know that the, the three headed thing of Tariko buck in, and, uh, who are we just saying? Tariko buck and Tariko buck and Nance. Nance, I think those three, those three main guys is the three network. The three main network guys is pretty, a pretty strong trio. It's hard to say which one of those guys is better. I do. I do like the color guys. I think a little bit more than you, but I think it's just because of, you know, it's just like Collinsworth has been doing games for so long at this point. I still think Romo when he like Romo can still make a good point every now and then Romo still does a good job. And I think Aikman's consistency throughout the broadcast is probably better than most, but that's a, that's a good list. I think Nance Harlan, that's it. That's a strong one, two punch. I feel like I just, yeah, for me, like I like the play by play because I feel like when it comes to the color guys, like especially Tony Romo and Chris Collinsworth, like their bias comes out a lot. Mm. Like, the play by play that doesn't really happen because like with what they call it, it really can't. Yeah. And I feel like if you're drafting guys to call a game too, you're right. Nancy definitely might take, take number one. If you want, just like yeah. that traditional broadcaster, but I, you're definitely like, okay, I'm not going to go like, let's go for Harlan. Number two, Harlan's yeah. definitely the second option. Like we're saying, you get the fun stuff. He's uh, always a good time. Should we, should we end on this quickly? Because uh, we were talking about it. <laughs> Got her. Should we watch the play? Steps into it. Passes. Caught. Diggs. Sideline. Touchdown. Unbelievable. Vikings. It was just one of the best playoff moments by far. That might be too emotional to end this. That's like a season finale. If you're if you're a Vikings fan, like you're in happy tears, but it's also sad tears because that's not going to happen for a while. I know, and that wasn't uh, Kirk Cousins either. That was Case Keenum. So Case Keenum. Not like it happened with the guy that they have. Was there was there anything else that we needed to mention? Shout out at all? Follow Ian Fatiport on Twitter. It's been kind of a. I feel like. I'll be bitching oh, about the Chiefs for the next two weeks. So if you want to come see that, go on my Twitter. I know we tease draft stuff, but there was the coaching news, the playoff stuff, a couple of things yeah. we had to mention there. So I know we'll definitely be talking draft stuff in the, the near, near future because there's just a, a lot of stuff that we need to cover. So it's going to be a fun time talking draft with our guy, Fataport. Was there, was there anything, uh, anything that you listened to recently, watched? They needed a shout out. Did you um, listen to the new Benny the Butcher album that dropped this past week? Benny the Butcher, who's that? Benny the Butcher. I think check out if uh, if you want to check out Benny the Butcher, listen to here. Let me get the the album title. Benny the Butcher is a okay. rapper. Benny I think uh, I don't think I've ever heard of him. He's kind of a kind of an underground guy, but he dropped last week, and I didn't know if. Uh, the streaming thing would give him a bump. Burden of Proof. Burden of Proof is the Benny the Butcher album released in 2020. So he does this. He does this album with the producer Hit Boy. You, do you know Hit Boy? I know you'd. I don't you'd know. So. Probably you by would, his producer tag, but like not by his name. Yeah, you would know the tag if you heard it. Hit okay. Boy. That's a that's a bad version of the tag. Let me see if I can find some other songs that he may produce. 
He is also up for producer of the year at the Grammys this week with, uh, I know like Taylor Swift's producer, but like also Metro booming as well. Okay. So sicko mode is hit boy. Oh, okay. That whole, uh, that whole Benny, the butcher album, the bees knees shout out juice. That's a good ass song. Flex as well. Backseat freestyle by Kendrick Lamar's hit boy. Oh yeah. All the King's diseases albums, but I feel like Nas, you're not like a big Nas guy. I like his what's hits, your but... what's your cutoff year for for hip hop? Mm. You listen to Jay Z at all? No. Do you listen to? But you like Kendrick and Cole and Drake? Yeah, I don't. I mean, honestly, I don't even listen to Kanye really. Like, I know his songs, I just don't really listen to him. Hmm. I feel like uh, if I feel like if you didn't get in on Kanye, people aren't just like getting yeah. in on Kanye right now. What, okay, at least wait, um, what year? Hang on. Publicly. So the first, I remember the first rap album I actually like enjoyed was Scorpion, Drake's album. Mm. That was twenty eighteen. Yeah. So like, I listened to some rap before that, but I can't really think of a lot. I think Lucid like, Dreams. A lot of the stuff or, uh... that came out before that, I listened to it pretty late. Yeah, but I think Except that for was Juice. like I was on top of Juice's albums and stuff. But 2018 was kind of right at the beginning of the... I mean, Spotify had been around at that point, but I feel like that was really when it started. You could really be like, okay, the shift is happening onto streaming. Because I think yeah. 2018 was also... What's the name of the Juice album with Lucid Dreams on it? Uh, Goodbye and Good Riddance. Goodbye and Good Riddance. Yeah, that, I think yeah. that album came out that year as well, too. And I think when Juice... Juice popped off, that was the moment that... And, you know, there was SoundCloud stuff there with Juice, too. But that was the moment yeah. that... It was like, okay, streaming for music has arrived. And Drake, Scorpion was a, a big moment for that as, as well, too. I, if I don't know. Are you Apple Music or Spotify? Spotify. Or, you're Spotify? Okay, yeah. so some uh, something that I've been doing a lot, if you want to find good songs, a good way to do it is go, if you search for a playlist, go produced by whoever. So, you know, you can go like produced by Metro Boomin, you know, if you, Kanye, for example, so, you know, you'd get all, obviously all of the Metro Boomin stuff, but the stuff that he would do for the other stuff. So if you go like produced by Hit Boy, you know, you're going to get a lot of the, or like the Alchemist. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Alchemist. Sounds familiar. He's another famous hip hop producer. You know, some of the, some of those guys like have their own pages as well too, but the produced by playlists have been what I've been going through lately and the Hit Boy stuff as well too. Again, with the Grammys, approaching this week i've been doing a lot of yeah. stuff looking at the grammys the hit boy stuff where it's the benny the butcher album that i just mentioned but also he did he just completed a run of like three albums with nas king's disease one two and three and all three of those are incredible and i think some of the well i may, maybe we'll do grammys preview on a friday but there that's that's my that's homework for our guy fataport to uh listen to hit boy well, I'm week. going to the gym right after this, so I'll I'll look them up and maybe I'll mm. shuffle through some of those songs when I'm there. Highly recommend. Also, we highly recommend following our guy Ian Fataport on Twitter as well too. It's at Ian Fataport. It's all in the description. If you I'll guys want to check it out, about the Chiefs for a week straight. It'll be there, and you guys can hear him talking about the Super Bowl, talking about other stuff as well too. It's a good time. Oh, yeah. So one more thing to mention oh, about go. my Twitter. Uh, I. 
so on the games that I bet on for the championship games, every single Chiefs Ravens bet lost. Every single Lions Niners game bet I won. I didn't release mm. any of them, but I'll try to come up with something for the Super Bowl and release that because I I know that I've said I'm gonna be dropping some stuff and I really haven't. So I'm gonna try to stick to it for the Super Bowl, <laughs> and I'll try to put out something I like, even though as soon as I post it, it's gonna go to shit. But you know what? Sorry. That's why you guys follow it, so you can jinx our guy, Ian Fatiport, with his sports bets. I mean, it's it's explainable. The Mahomes thing, he just like he's pinned to his couch. He can't move. He can't tweet. He's just the Mahomes thing has him has him down. Pause. So we'll be uh we'll be back with our guy Fatiport. We'll be back Friday with Sam Saturday. I always say Friday. The episode drops on Saturday when you guys will be able to listen to it. Me and Sam, Thurman Sam podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Five stars if you guys think about it. Follow us, Rem and Sam Pod, Rem and Sam Podcast across all platforms. Anthony Richardson, come back soon. We miss you.